want to ask if you would open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. And we're going to begin reading with verse 13. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. I'll read it from the New International Version on today. Let's pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen to what God's word says in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus himself came up, but they were kept from recognizing him. I want to talk about recognizing Christ in a crisis. Recognizing Christ in a crisis. In Luke chapter 24, it opens, verse 1 opens, talking about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And the word of God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And after Jesus died on the cross, then God raised him from the dead. There's an empty tomb that proves that my Savior lives. And it was on the same day of that resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 13 says that there were two disciples, not of the 11, but two disciplined ones, two learners, two followers of Jesus, they were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They were walking from Jerusalem to their home, a little small village called Emmaus. And it's about a seven-mile journey. And as they were walking, these two learners, followers of Jesus, these two disciples, they were discussing what had just transpired over the past few days. They were talking about Jesus being arrested and Jesus being whipped and beaten and then Jesus being nailed to the cross, and then him dying on the cross. And if they were going through this, they were depressed, they were dismayed, they were disillusioned, they were uneasy. The text even says they were sad. And in that depression, and I love this so much, verse 16 says, and Jesus himself showed up. I'm so glad that even when you and I are disillusioned or in despair, that Jesus doesn't send a committee that Jesus himself showed up. And when the Lord showed up, this is very interesting, his own disciples did not recognize him. I guess all that pain and suffering, uh, going, seeing what happened with him dying on the cross and seeing what happened, how they treated Jesus and, and now their hopes and dreams were destroyed in their mind on the cross when Jesus died, and when the Lord showed up, they didn't even recognize who Jesus was. And they're going back and forth, and they're discussing it. And then when Jesus showed up, Jesus said, why are y'all so sad? What y'all talking about? And then these disciples said to Jesus, without knowing it was Jesus, you must not be from around here. They were talking about Jesus to Jesus without realizing it was Jesus. So you must not be from around here. There's a man named Jesus. Verse 19 says, he had power in word and deed. His walk and talk had power. What he said and did had power. And we thought he was the Christ. Then he died on the cross. You're asking why we so sad, why we're so down, 
dismayed, all the hell we've been facing, all the things that we've been going through, the crisis that we're in. Said we, we thought that he was the Christ. We thought that, matter of fact, one translation says, we had believed he was the Christ, the one that would redeem Israel. Another said that we had hoped he was the one that would redeem Israel, the Christ. Still another said, we had dreamed that he was the Christ. Notice, whatever translation you read is all in past tense. We had hope, but we don't hope anymore. We had believed he was the Christ, but we don't believe that anymore. We had dreamed he was the Christ, but we don't dream that anymore. Langston Hughes said, what dreams we have and how they fly like rosy clouds across the sky of wealth, of fame, of sure success, of wealth that comes to cheer and bless, how they wither, how they fade, wilted wealth, jilted jade, the fame that for a moment gleams, then forever flies all dreams, dreams. Oh, burning doubts and long regrets, oh, tears with which our eyes are wet, heartthrob, heartache, the glut of pain, summer clouds, bitter rains, you are not of my dreams. Oh, well, full fruition, who can tell? Well, fame and love, oh, love that beams, all dreams, dreams. Langston Hughes says all of us have had dreams, aspirations, but like clouds, they seem to just roll away. And then here comes the rain, here comes the pain, here comes the suffering and the difficulty. And then we get mad at God and start complaining that these were not of my dreams. Langston Hughes said, look at it again. That maybe God has taken the pain and the suffering and the difficulty and that God is going to use that to help you to live out your dreams, to get you to what you dream. Uh, these men said, we had dreamed, had hoped, believed he was the one that would redeem Israel. But we don't, we don't do that anymore. We don't believe that anymore. We thought he was the Christ until he died on the cross. That was their issue. We thought he was the Christ, but we don't believe that anymore because he died on the cross. See, their, their ideology, their philosophy was that if you sin, you suffer, and if you're suffering, you're suffering because of sin. So when they saw Jesus suffer and die on that cross, they came to the conclusion he can't be the Christ because he wouldn't suffer like this. They were half right. If you sin, you will suffer. But if you're suffering, suffering is not always a result of your sin. You can be the holiest person in the world and still suffer and go through issues. Jesus was. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, but he knew no sin. He never sinned, but he still suffered. But in their mind, their philosophy was, if you suffer, it's because of sin. And, and that's why when they saw Jesus on the cross, they stopped believing he was the Christ. And I, I got to tell you that that's how some of us are right now. We had believed Jesus was the Christ. We trusted he was the Christ. We put our faith in the fact he was the Christ until we got in a crisis. And so many of us are thinking, how can he be the Christ and I'm in a crisis? How can he be the Christ and I'm suffering? I'm in pain. I got a financial situation. I got a sickness. My family is going through and so because of your crisis, you stop believing that he was the Christ. And that's why they couldn't recognize Jesus. That was in verse 16, that they could not recognize Jesus. But I want to read verse 31 to you, Luke 24 and 31. Then their eyes were opened, 
and they recognized him. So in verse 16, they didn't recognize him. In verse 31, they recognized him. Something happened in that seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Something, something went down. Something transpired to have them go from not recognizing Jesus in their crisis to recognizing Jesus in their crisis. And I wanted, I wanted to look at that so that you can recognize Jesus even in your calamity, even in your catastrophe, even in your crisis, uh, there's still the ability to be able to recognize Jesus. Well, how did, uh, how did that happen? Well, one thing that happened, they kept walking and talking with Jesus. They walked and talked with Jesus for seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, even in their crisis. They just kept on walking and kept on talking with Jesus. And that's my word to you. This is not the time to turn your back on Jesus. It's not the time to walk away from Christ. This is not the time to give up on the kingdom of God and the church of God. This is the time to keep walking and talking with Jesus, even in your hardships, even in the hell you're facing, even in your difficult times. Keep on walking and talking with Jesus. He'll open your eyes to help you to recognize even in your crisis, he's still the Christ. It was Jay Iris who had a 12-year-old daughter and his daughter got sick. And so Jairus went to find Jesus when his daughter got sick. And when he found Jesus, he asked Jesus, if, he would, if you would come to my house, Jesus, and heal my daughter, Jesus said yes. But as they took the journey to get to the house, a messenger came from the house and met Jairus and said, you can leave Jesus alone now. You don't have to bother the master any longer. Your daughter is dead. So here is Jairus walking and talking with Jesus here comes somebody from the house with bad news. Matter of fact, the situation went from bad to worse. She was sick, now she's dead, his daughter. And what do you do with that? When your situation goes from bad to worse and somebody close to you is telling you, you can leave Jesus alone. I tell you what Jairus did, he kept on walking and talking with Jesus. He never, he may have cried, he may have been disappointed, he may have been hurt, but he never stopped walking with Jesus. And when they got to the house, Jesus turned Jairus's situation around. He raised that little girl from the dead. And my word to you is, if you keep walking and talking with Jesus, I promise he will turn your situation around. What happened between not recognizing Jesus in verse 13 to recognizing Jesus in verse 31, well, what happened was that they believed in all the word. They believed in all the scripture. Let me show you something. In verse 25, Luke 24, verse 25, it says, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. No wonder now they're able to recognize Jesus in a crisis. They're not going based on their own ideology. They're not going based on their own philosophy. They're going based on the revelation of the theology and the word of God. Jesus said the reason why you can't see what God is doing is because you won't accept all the scripture. You want to pick and choose with scripture. You want, y'all, this is the time for us to accept God's word. I hear people talking about they don't believe that 
The Bible is the word of God. Listen, the Bible is the word of God, whether you believe it or not. The Bible, the word of God was here before you got here, and the word is going to be here when you're gone. It's time for us to accept all of God's scripture. When there's an issue, you're reading the Bible, and there's something you don't agree with, something you're uneasy about. The problem is not with the Bible. The problem is not with God's word. The problem is with your thinking. When I was a youngster in our church, one of the sayings we had, one of the phrases was used frequently was, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And that's a great phrase. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Let me give you a better phrase. God said it. That settles it. God ain't waiting on you and I to believe it before it's settled. It's already settled. This is the word of God. It's the, the, the truth that comes from the scripture. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It is the authority for the life of the church and the believer. And if we're going to be able to see what God is doing in our lives, it's because we accept what is word. You cannot treat God's word like a Burger King. You know, Burger King, they say, uh, you can have it your way. Well, this is not Burger King. This is the Bible. You can't have it your way. It's got to be God's way, and you accept that. So many of us treat the Word of God like a buffet line, like a food buffet. You know what we do at the buffet. We walk through and look at everything, and then we take what we want, leave what we don't want. I don't want any of that. I don't like none of that. I'm leaving it. You know what we do at the buffet line. I'll take a little of that, but give me a whole lot of this. And that's how we do God's Word. When it comes to God challenging us and God wanting to use us, well, I'll leave that. When it comes time for us to give and bless others, I'll leave all that there. Then when it comes to prayer and fasting, I'll take a little of that. Then when it comes to the blessings of God, I'll take all. I want as much as I can get. You can't treat God's word like a buffet line. The reason that they are able to see Christ and recognize him in the crisis is because they accepted all of God's word. I was preaching at the Friendship West Church in Dallas, Texas, Pastor Frederick Douglass Haynes III. And I flew down a day early. I was on, on a Wednesday night. I flew down on Tuesday because I wanted to hear Pastor Maurice Watson was preaching that Tuesday. And then Pastor Maurice Jackson, he flew in from Ohio. He was doing the singing. We're all friends. When Pastor Watson got through preaching, we all went to eat together. And then we went back to the hotel. Well, I had rented a convertible Mustang. I, I, I love Ford Mustangs, especially the convertible. I like the way the wind blows through my hair, especially in Texas. So I rented a, a convertible, and then Pastor Maurice uh, Jackson rolled back to the hotel with me. Dr. Watson, he rolled with Dr. Haynes back to the hotel. So when we get back to the hotel, I take my Bible, I throw it in the glove box, because the, tomorrow I'm on the preach. So I'm going to get up early in the morning. I'm going to go out to Bachman Lake. I'm going to read the Word, and I'm going to meditate on the Word. I'm going to pray and go over my message for the night. So I go on into the hotel, wake up early the next morning, call down to the valley people, please bring my car around. Yes, Mr. Johnson, we'll bring it right around. I rushed down because I wanted to see them drive that red candy apple red Ford Mustang, black drop top, black convertible, black interior. See that top drop? And as they drew that, drove that beautiful car around, I said, man, that's really nice. That's a beautiful vehicle. And when the car got to me, I jumped in that red, black drop top, black interior. And when I jumped in, I'm ready to go. But I start seeing some things that I shouldn't be seeing. I saw a scarf. I saw sunglasses. I said, these are not my, I don't have no scarf and sunglasses. I said, oh, well, maybe Pastor Jackson left it in my car last night when he rode with me. And then I saw a cell phone in the car. I said, no, this is, this is not Jack. Jack would have called me about that cell. He would have called me last night about that cell phone. 
And I start seeing things I shouldn't have seen in this vehicle. And then I remembered I put my Bible in the glove box. And I opened that glove box and I didn't see the Bible. And when I didn't see the Bible, I didn't see God's word. When the word wasn't in it, I got out of it. I said, it's beautiful. It looks great. It's nice. But it's not mine because no word is in it. And when no word was in it, I got out of it. Y'all, in friendships, in relationships, in partnerships, sometimes some things look so good to us, but you need to check and see if there's some word in it. And if there's no word in it, get out of it. The way they were able to see Christ in a crisis is because they accepted all the scripture that they received all the word that God had for them. And then, and I already read it to you uh, in verse 26, Jesus told them, but y'all sitting up here thinking that because somebody's on the cross that they can't be the Christ. He says, don't you know that the word of God says that Christ had to suffer to come into his glory? We need to have a different perspective, a different mindset about suffering. Y'all, sometimes God will use suffering to get you to your glory. And Jesus began to speak to them. The text says he spoke from the prophet Moses all the way up to the prophets of that day, the, the contemporary prophets of his day. Just explaining to them out of the word that sometimes you have to suffer to get to your glory. And I don't know, I don't know which verses that he used. He did mention Moses, though, so maybe... Jesus was talking about Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God says that the seed of the serpent will crush the heel of the seed of the woman, but that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. The seed of the serpent, that's Satan. The seed of the woman, that's Jesus. The seed of the serpent, Satan, will crush the heel of the seed of the woman, Jesus. But the seed of the woman, Jesus, will crush the head of the seed of the serpent, Satan. Would you rather have your heel crushed or your head crushed? And in the crucifixion, Satan crushed the heel of Jesus. But in the resurrection, Jesus crushed the head of Satan. It was a prophecy that indicated that the Christ had to suffer to come into his glory. I don't know what verses that Jesus was quoting, but he, he said he was quoting the prophets. Maybe it was Psalm 22 where it says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The same thing Jesus said when he died on the cross. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's a prophecy that indicates he had to suffer to come into his glory. I don't know which verses, which prophets that he was quoting. Maybe it was Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, who has believed our reporter? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? that there was no beauty about him, that anybody would accept him, that he was despised and rejected of man. He was acquainted with grief, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. He had to suffer, the word teaches, to come into his glory. And what I'm trying to get across to you is that sometimes the crisis and the calamity and the catastrophes that you and I go through is not Christ forsaking us. It's getting us to our glory. glory. Glory is a special place. It's a special position. It's a special purpose. And sometime God will use suffering to get you to that special place, that special position, that special purpose, get you to your glory. 
in Psalm 23, verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then in verse 5, it starts talking about glory. He prepares the table before you in the presence of your haters that won't, don't want you to have anything. That he anoints your head with oil and your cup begins to overflow with the blessings of God. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Goodness and mercy shall stalk you for the rest of your life. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But you have to go through the suffering in Psalm 23 in that valley of, of uh, verse 4, in that valley of death, the shadow of death, before you can get to your glory in verse 5. Because sometimes God allows us to suffer to get us to our glory. What is it that happened that caused them to recognize Christ? In that crisis, well, when you keep reading, you end up getting to the house. They walk seven miles with Jesus. They didn't know he was Jesus. They get to the house. Jesus, uh, verse 27 says, seems like he's going to keep going. He made them think he was going to keep going. They said, no, 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 you got to come to the house. It's getting late in the evening. You got to come into the house with us. And then Jesus came into their house. No wonder they went from not recognizing Christ to recognizing Christ because they allowed Jesus in their home. If you really want to have knowledge about what Jesus is doing in your life, then let Jesus in your home. So many of us have been to God's house, but if we tell the truth, we've never let Jesus in our house. And that's great that you go to God's house. He tells us to go to his house. But at some point, you got to let Jesus in your house. And how does that look? How do I get Jesus in my house? Well, when you invite him into your heart, when you believe Jesus died on the cross, God raised him from the dead. You confess that with your mouth. He gets in your heart. When you get in his word, Jesus gets in your head. And when he gets in your heart and in your head, he can't help but to get in your house. Y'all, we keep coming to God's house and keep doing that. But when are you going to let the Lord in your house? And I'm so glad he will come in our house. He will come in our home. And when Jesus comes in our home, man, ain't no telling what's going to happen. Peter led Jesus in his home that first time, and Peter's mother-in-law was healed of her fever. Matthew led Jesus in his house, and that's when he exposed all, exposed all his family and friends to Jesus. Zacchaeus led Jesus in his house, and salvation came to his house. Mary and Martha led Jesus in their house, and their brother was raised from the dead. And I got to testify, I led Jesus in my house, and my home has never been the same. You have to believe he died on the cross. Believe God raised Jesus from the dead. Receive him into your heart and then let him in your house. I promise he'll make a difference. I remember when my wife and I drove our number two son, Jordan, to college for the first time for, for when he was starting school, his undergrad work at Tennessee State University. The rest of our sons had to fly to college. Jay Allen flew to Payne College in Augusta. And then uh, Jalen, he had to fly to Florida to go to Full Sail University. And then KJ went to Howard University so in D.C., so they all flew. Well, we drove uh, from Indianapolis to Tennessee to get Jordan to Tennessee State. And I got to admit, I, I had some challenges with that. I told Jordan, I said, son, my mother never saw my college until I graduated. She never saw it until my last day on campus. That's when she flew to Dallas and saw me at Bishop College. Now, here we are, your first day. 
but his mom talked me into going, and I drove down there with our son, and we went to stores and bought refrigerators and pillows and sheets and all kind of stuff and paper cups and all. We bought everything. We went to the grocery store, bought all kind of food, and we decorated his room. We doing all this at my son. He's 18 years old, but we doing it anyway at, at the college campus. And then Lady Sharon and I were getting ready to go, and she had that last talk with our son when he was getting ready to start college. This mother-to-son talk, and she told him, remember, you're a Christian. You've given your life to Christ. Even though we're not around, you still, Jesus is still with you. You've got to live like a Christian, act like a Christian, trust God like a Christian. And then she told him, now let me give you some advice and counsel on your roommate, because everybody hasn't accepted Christ. Everybody doesn't think the same. People have different personalities. You've never lived with anybody other than your brothers and your mother and father, and then let me explain. And then Jordan interrupted his mom and said, Mom, you don't have to worry about me because my roommate, he and I have been friends for a long time. We were friends at church. We were friends at school. We played ball together. We socialized together. You don't have to worry about us. Here, I remember Sharon saying this so clearly. Sharon said, Son, you don't really know a person until you live with them. I say that because some of us have come to the Lord's house and we hung out with him and we talked with him and we socialized with Jesus and we partied with Jesus and we hung out with Jesus but we've never lived with Jesus and you really don't know him until you live with him you got to accept him by faith let me give you one more and I'm done how did they come from verse 16 not recognizing Jesus in their crisis Crisis is still there, but verse 31, they recognize. Matter of fact, let me read it to you in verse 30. They get into the house, they wash their hands, wash their feet, and then they sit down to share a meal. Verse 30, Luke 24. When, when he was at the table with them, when Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized you know when they recognized him? Not when he gave them the bread, but when he broke bread. Matter of fact, they got up and they ran, those two men ran all the way back to Jerusalem. They ran seven miles and they found the 11 disciples and said, Jesus is alive, he's well, that the women were right, he's raised from the dead. And we walked with him for seven miles and we listened to him talking. We didn't even know it was Jesus. And they asked him, verse 35, they asked him, well, how did you know if you walked with him for that long? How did you, what, what gave you this aha moment to know it was Jesus? Here's what they said. The way he broke bread. They didn't say the way he gave bread. The way he broke bread. Here's what I want us to understand. That if you're really going to recognize Jesus, you got to recognize that Jesus doesn't just give bread. Jesus breaks bread. We talk a lot about his giving and he does give but y'all it's the way he breaks bread that is significant. When that little boy had the two pieces of fish and the five biscuits and Jesus getting ready to feed uh, 5,000 plus people and Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and then he break it then he used it then he gave it to him in that upper room, that, that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. He took bread and he blessed it, then he broke it. And it wasn't until he broke it that he used it that he gave it. Yo, God will give to us.
But he doesn't just give, but he'll break us. And oftentimes, he doesn't even use us until he breaks us. You've got to take the whole counsel of God. You've got to believe in all the scripture. Don't just, like a buffet line, just take the passages where he gives us. And he will give to you. God will give you bread. I know that. He even said when you pray, pray our Father, give us this day our daily bread. He'll give you bread. He'll open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing. He gives bread. He'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. He'll give you a house, give you a car, give you a job, give you money. He gives bread. But what we need to also understand, he doesn't just give, but Jesus breaks. And he breaks us to put us in a position to use us. And when you recognize how he breaks bread, now you can recognize Christ in your crisis in your suffering, in your pain, in your hurt, in this time of brokenness. The Lord has not forsaken you. The Lord has not given up on you. The Lord is seeking to get you to your glory so that he can use you in his service. This was years ago. We had a youth conference at our church. And when we had this youth conference at our church, uh, we invited other youth groups and other youth leaders and all of that. And we had, and all these, it was hundreds and hundreds of young people that showed up. It was great. We had uh, pro athletes that were giving their testimony about how they accepted Christ and lived their lives as Christians. We had seminars and great Christian teachers coming in. It was wonderful. And we ended the weekend with our teenagers by actually having um, gospel rappers to come in and gospel bands with contemporary gospel music to come in. And we put a tarp down in our gym, and, and we had the, the bands on the stage in the gym and the lights on, and then we dimmed those lights, and the young people were having a good time. And as we dimmed the lights, one of the, uh, the contemporary gospel bands brought with them these lights that they passed out. So you got hundreds of teenagers in this, this dimmed, dark gymnasium, all lit up because one of the bands passed out lights. And I was standing in the back, and we were rejoicing as we closed out the conference. And one of the teenagers, a young girl, walked up to me and said, Pastor, why don't you have any lights? I said, this is for y'all. I'm here to support you. That's why I'm here. I'm, I'm having a good time watching y'all have a good time. And she said, no, Pastor, you need some lights. And I, was, I really, my heart was broken because, my heart was blessed because here's a young teenager. She wasn't having so much fun. She wasn't looking out for a pastor. She runs up to the stage. And the band gives her two more lights. She comes back and she says, here, pastor, you need these lights. I said, thank you for thinking about your pastor like this. I really appreciate that. Then she left and went on. Then I couldn't figure out how to turn the daggone lights on. There was no on-off switch. So everybody in the gym is lit up. All these young folk lit up having a good time. And I'm in the dark because I don't know how to turn my lights on. The same young lady came back not long after that said, pastor, why don't you have your lights on? I said, sweetheart, don't worry about me. Something's wrong with the pastor's lights. His lights don't work. She said, Pastor, let me see him. And I gave her my lights. And she took one and broke it. It started shining. She gave it back to me. She took the other one, broke it. It started shining. She gave it back to me. And then listen to what she said to me. Pastor, there's nothing wrong with them. You have to break them before you can use them. And here's my word to you. In your crisis, in your difficulty, in your hardship, Keep on walking and talking with Jesus. Accept and receive all the counsel from the word of God. Believe all the word. Let Jesus by faith in your home and in your suffering. It doesn't mean something's wrong with your Christianity. It doesn't mean 
that something is not right with you and Jesus. Sometimes he's got to break you before he can use you. Y'all, I've been a lot of places. I've seen a lot of faces. But there have been times I felt so all alone. But in that lonely hour, in that blessed lonely hour, Jesus came and told me I was his own. That's why I thank God for my mountains and I thank him for my valleys and I thank him for all he's brought me through. If I never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. I wouldn't know what faith in his word could do. Through it all, I learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I learned to trust in God. Amen.